It's My Little Underground. I'm Peter A. This week on the show, all the way from Long Island, we have Delaney Hafner of the Bell Curves joining me to talk about misconceptions of country music, the importance of platonic relationships, the fantastic live album that Bell Curves did at Pete's Candy Store out in Brooklyn, and a few shows that the Bell Curves has coming up, including Rockwood Music Hall in New York City, April the 15th, Farmingville, May 13th at Mayday Festival, and it was so cool to catch up with Miss Delaney Hafner of the Bell Curves right here on My Little Underground. Delaney Hafner, welcome to My Little Underground. So glad to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, the last time we spoke, I was on radio and you were in a different man, Panda fan. So I think it's interesting how we've kind of progressed to different mediums. You know, I moved from radio to podcasting and you've progressed and pivoted from Panda Van to Bell Curves. Now, Bell Curves has a very Americana country twang to it, and mm-hmm. Panda Fan had a more um, just broad focal sound, if uh, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. What, did you always plan on moving towards a more twangy country sound? Or, listen, I'm going to start something new, a new project, fresh, and start clean. Hmm, this is like a boring answer. It's kind of somewhere in between, honestly. I think I spent a, a lot of time with Panafin trying to figure out what I was trying to do. I didn't really have... Uh, there were times, like particular songs or particular EPs when I think that I had a clear vision and like me and the other people in the band, we we had a clear vision for what we wanted but for the overall sound of the band i don't think that you know we necessarily had that clarity and i think going into the bell curves i was older for one thing and i had listened to a lot more kinds of music because i was older and i kind of had started figuring out what it was i wanted to do and i knew that i wanted to have a full band um you know, full band sound. And yeah, so I I think it was as much a product of just growing and just being more mature as it was, you know, some kind of intentional decision. With growing and evolving, because I know what that's like uh, on my end, Mm -hmm. what are some music misconceptions that you've had that you've let go during this growing and evolving phase? Hmm. I think that I have learned how to collaborate a lot better. I think that I used to feel like it was all or nothing. You were either co-writing and making every decision as a band, or it was a solo project and you had to do it all yourself. So when I stopped doing Panda Fan, which was extremely collaborative, and I first started the Bell Curves, I thought the bell curves was going to be a solo project that it was going to be you know my songs i would play most of the instruments i would kind of be doing everything myself and like it is still my project but i have learned how and when to sort of like relinquish control to people who know what they're doing better than me <laughs> so um i i think that's a big part of it um and as like as far as the music itself, I think again I just listen to a lot more 
different kinds of music and a lot of music outside of the music that I make. And I think that that's really important. And that's something I wasn't really doing because I was sort of stubbornly listening only to music within the genre that I was making, which was this sort of like, you know, artsy indie folk kind of stuff. And I just, you know, I kind of grew out of that. And I was like, there's there's so much out there. And the more, you know, it's it's kind of like a, a, a curry or a stew. And like the more flavors you add in, the more complex and more interesting it's going to be. So, yeah, and I, I try to listen to a lot of different stuff now. And I still think that I don't listen to like that many kinds of music when you really take into account like all the kinds of music across the world. But yeah, I feel like I'm rambling now. <laughs> when you talk about relinquishing control, it's very hard to do. Yeah. I can relate because mm -hmm. I do everything for this show. But mm -hmm. recently I asked a graphic designer to do the logo for the show and something I've never really done before. Mm -hmm. My brother does the intro music, just kind of letting go of that and seeing what other people that can do things better than I can mm -hmm. add to, to this show. So what are some things that you were able to just kind of let go of control over um well like drums were a big a big thing because I'm a horrible drummer I've been trying to teach myself to play drums a little bit just because it's good to learn things but it's it really is not easy for me and so I've always had to rely on drummers and kind of just like settling into that and being fine with it and trying not to micromanage um also uh my dad is my guitar player and um really kind of like leaning on his ideas um has been a really crucial part of the sound i think um and yeah the, those are the two big things i think oh and having other people sing harmonies on my recordings because the vocal harmonies are such a big part of the sound as well and on the first album that I did as the bell curves and this was coming out of panda fan like I said when I thought the bell curves was going to be a solo project I did all of the vocal harmonies myself I just overdubbed them so it's all me and then on the EP after that EP 2020 I had a somewhat consistent live band lineup and I was like I should really have them do the harmonies and like the texture and again the depth makes it so much more interesting to have these different you know, these disparate but complementary voices, I think, w was really important in, in the growth of the sound as well. So when I when I think about the bell curves and what I'm understanding is you and your dad do kind of a lot of the, like the back end work, like uh, recording and miking and all this stuff. Bell curves is essentially a DIY operation, even though you have, you know, other people uh, as, as a part of the group. So mm -hmm. with you and your dad, what what are you doing yourselves and mm -hmm. what are you letting other people do? Like, what are you two relinquishing control over? Mm. Um. Well, so we do basically everything related to the audio and then um, but we are thinking about maybe having someone else mix and or master the next batch of tunes. Just, you know, again, because this collaboration has been really fruitful so far, so why not extend it out to another part of the process? Um, but like you were saying, graphic design, I hired a really great designer for the uh, um, album cover for Watershed, and he did such a great job. Ryan Allison is his name. Um, and my partner, D, 
did the photography for it and all of the uh sort of you know other promo photos for the whole sort of like era of what watershed and the the sort of like visual aesthetic that goes along with it um we had piano and fiddle both tracked remotely so i sent them off to the musicians and they sent back tracks and so i didn't really have an opportunity to like micromanage and like get too into my head about it i just asked musicians who i trusted to put parts down on the tracks and like it came back and i was like over the moon about them i was so excited um yeah those are the biggest things i think you know who did the new logo for this show? No. Brianna Martinson of Nectar. Oh, really? Yep. That's so funny. Yep. They're fantastic. Yes. All the proofs, I told them exactly what I wanted. I had mm -hmm. a conversation with them beforehand mm -hmm. and nail on the head. It's so cool when someone Perfect. can do that. It's like incredible. Yeah. They saw everything that I was that was in my head and everything mm -hmm. I dictated. They mm -hmm. got it. And it was and just, just like and cool. like capturing the vibe of like yes. what you're trying to do, you know, when you know, and like we're both doing things that are that are so detached from a visual communication that to have someone be able to communicate that for you is just like so sick. Yeah. 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 So with mixing and mastering, right? Mm hmm did you and your dad do that for Watershed? Yeah. Yeah. My dad mixed it and mastered it. And uh, yeah, I kind of produced it. And yeah. So. So for the next uh, project, are you mm -hmm. are you looking for other producers and other people to mix and, and master this project? Well, I'm still producing it and I'm probably yeah. producing it even more than watershed because i am kind of bringing it back into myself and going to be doing a lot of the well i'm doing all of the acoustic guitars and i'll be doing the bass and kind of you know watershed we recorded a lot of like we recorded it mostly live we recorded the band live and then did some overdubs um but the core of the recordings were done live. So the two electric guitars, bass and drums all live on all the songs. And on this, we're doing it really differently. We're going to be building the tracks on top of the drums, basically, and having a few different drummers and just really kind of taking a, a slower approach to the whole thing. So I'm not sure what the mixing and mastering stage will look like because we'll probably end up doing a lot of the mixing as we go which i know is not considered best practice but whatever um so yeah i'm not sure yet but it's it's on the table so we'll see what happens do you set timetables for yourself like i'm gonna get these songs written by this date and we're gonna finish the album by this date uh not really because i feel like I I want the music that I make to be fun, you know, and, and I don't, is. yeah, and like, I don't want to like make it a chore for myself. I want it to be like fulfilling and be something that I'm doing because I want to do it, not because I feel like I should or have to, you know, which yeah. is kind of why I am happy to have a day job and, and not be trying to make 
money at making music because I don't know. I feel like I've found a lot of joy and success with music making so far and I haven't really made any money at it and I don't feel like those things are conflicting. So I think if COVID taught us anything about the music business is that it's very fragile mm -hmm. and that I believe that music would outlive the industry mm -hmm. because there there was still music coming out when yeah. there was no touring. Well, so and like humans, everything. right. And like humans have been making music for thousands and thousands of years just because they wanted to. Like there was no reason for people to be making music for most of the time we've been making music. So like, I don't need a reason either. Like that just feels like a very modern creation. So I, I try to keep that in the back of my mind whenever I'm feeling like, I don't know, hard so, on myself. Yeah. 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 So before I pick your brain about some songs on Watershed, uh, mm -hmm. I want to get your thoughts on country music as a whole. So when you were starting to dive into the bell curves, knowing that you were going into this twangy Americana approach, what are some misconceptions that you had against country music and that you feel like people as a whole have? Yeah, I think a lot of people, it's hard because like the circle that I sort of run in now, people sort of do get it. But then I talk to someone who's not, you know, in the Americana alt country scene. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm saying country music. But like, you think that I mean, like Luke Bryan. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not that ain't it. Like, I, I'm talking about like, you know, Justin Towns Earl and like, you know, these kinds of like Americana people. Um, and I think a lot of people assume that country is all this top 40 stuff and this, you know, just and it's just garbage. I can't even name any more top 40 country artists because I pay so little attention <laughs> to that world. Like the um, like the pickup truck kind of. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Yeah. And it's such trash. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's it's like garbage for conservatives. <laughs> yeah it's but just junk you... food and like yes, yeah and yes. the the americana and, and alt country world is just so much more welcoming i mean people like jason Nisbell and brandy carlisle are like oh yeah real progressive people who ha are on the right side of history and you know that's americana music and it's really country music but like it it feels like country music it's is a dirty word because of the the mainstream junk like stuff like i think you're kind of cut from the cloth of like emily lou harris yes um, bonnie Raitt, mm -hmm. the high women and brandy right. carlisle specifically yeah like that yeah kind of stuff. yeah uh, exactly and i like a lot of that stuff too but, and i think a lot of yeah. people would because it's just it's stories and it's very human and it's people and it's good songs that you just I don't know like it's just really simple and good you know and I, I always think of someone like John Prine who like really perfected the art of like simple human storytelling through song and you know yeah yeah the song the song is everything exactly and they're just stories about people you know and I think that that is what makes it country music when you look at country music at least you know what is played on major country radio formats to me it is a lot of 
it is a, a top 40 formula, a pop music formula in the mm-hmm. worst way. Yeah. Coded with, right. you know, the uh, a country aesthetic. You right. Know what I mean, right. Exactly. And it's like barely it's barely even country like these people have like music, these yeah. these fake like generically southern accents like some some folks that i follow and um you know sort of online friends with are like people who grew up in appalachia and the deep south and these places that have like distinct regional accents and it's kind of a point of contention because a lot of these you know mainstream country stars just have these like fake generic southern accents because they're just generic products made to sell you know exactly and when an artist like casey musgraves does really big in the grammys then the country radio world will accept it because it's an artist that won a country award right Right. so the biggest artist that won the biggest music award or whatever oh yeah that's ours right like lil nas x does a song with billy ray cyrus and right the world shuts down. Right. God forbid. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. Mm-hmm. So that that world is, is a wee bit racist, if you ask oh, me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and actually, there's there's um there's a group called the Black Opry that is trying to sort of like highlight people of color in country and, and roots uh, music. And they're doing really, really great work because there's obviously a very long history of like black people specifically making country music what it is. I mean, it it wouldn't be what it is without that contribution so um yeah black opry is doing really really important work and they're actually getting some recognition finally but yeah Do you know of uh, totally linda agree. martell no oh she's great she put out one album in the early 70s called color me country black oh Woman. okay yeah. i have heard of the album i did not know her name it is absolutely fantastic like me, I had my own preconceptions of country and it was th- what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But then I hear people like Yola and then I hear right. Linda Martell and then I hear yes. Loretta Lynn. And I hear all this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, huh, Dolly Parton. I'm like, right. whoa, this is country mm-hmm. music, isn't yes. it? Yes. Huh. Mm-hmm. And it's good. It's you know, it's, good. Like, it's like good music. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when Dolly Parton was on um, Colbert's show, what he does the, the late show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She made him cry just right. by singing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's yes. something. You know, mm-hmm. it's something about the it's the song and her voice is just un- unbelievable. Yeah. She's on yeah. another plane of existence. She and mm-hmm. Emily both are just oh, like they're outstanding. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> like exactly. I, wish, I wish I could sing like that. Since you know you have a nice voice. Don't don't understand. Well, thank yourself. you. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's okay. I don't I don't feel like it's underselling myself to say that I don't sing like Dolly Parton and Emmylou Harris. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. So let's uh, pick apart some of the songs. Not pick apart as, as in criticize. Oh, just, like, sure. Talk no, I would love to criticize them. I think it's good to be critical of your own your own work because otherwise you don't get better. Okay, okay. So on Watershed, we haven't been speaking. I absolutely mm-hmm. love this song. No, oh, thank and you. And it, it's what we're talking about. It's a story and it's a great song. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a disagreement you had with a friend over your country direction, right? Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. Um, it's someone that was I made music with for a long, long time. And uh, they did not really want to do it as seriously as I wanted to do it. And it became sort of a point of contention in our friendship, which kind of came to a head 
uh and for a lot of different reasons and yeah we we really didn't talk for like a year and we both had a lot of growing to do um and so when they reached out to me like after this year had gone by I, I was ready to like have them back in my life but um yeah so it's it's definitely a song about platonic friendship and like the complexity of that that can be present in a platonic relationship because i feel like there's no songs about that there's yeah, so many... i think about those relationships are very important just yeah. as much as your romantic ones right and there are so many songs about romantic relationships and i, I feel like our friendships and our platonic relationships can be as as deep and fulfilling as they can be devastating when they end you know so oh yeah absolutely yeah. i know the feeling yeah um and again luckily me and my friend are are very very close friends again so we had we had a happy ending but um yeah what are some things that you've learned about yourself during that period of hiatus between you and your friend um i realized that i can be pretty judgmental <laughs> and like i hold people to very high standards and that's not always fair. Um, and I can also be kind of like naive because like I've had a like I'm just very like neurotypical and like I've had a pretty like mainstream childhood uh, for the most childhood. part. <laughs> like I, you know, nothing really terrible has ever happened to me. And so like. I would have a hard time sometimes understanding like why people would do things a certain way or like be self-destructive or do X, Y, and Z. And then like, you know, kind of had to realize that like everyone has their own shit going on. And like some people just take longer to figure stuff out. And I don't know. Yeah. Just like everyone is going through shit all the time and just like give people space and time. When you say mainstream childhood, you mean like you had a two parent household, loving parents and all mm -hmm. this stuff. Right? Yeah, I mean, okay. we didn't I didn't we didn't really like I didn't grow up with money and like we definitely like struggled. But like, you know, I had a stable place to live. My parents stayed together. I had, you know, smart and supportive and fun sisters to grow up with. And like, you know, we never went hungry, even if we were broke a lot of the time. And like, you know. Yeah. So I would not, I would get really frustrated when friends would be self-destructive or do things that I didn't understand. And like, that was really coming from a place of like judgment. And like, that's not really fair to people to hold them to the same standards that I hold myself to when they don't even know that I'm doing it. Like that doesn't make, that's not fair. It doesn't make any sense. So um, yeah, that and realizing that I'm not a mind reader and no one else is a mind reader. And uh you have to actually say things directly if you want them to be understood. So, yeah, I'm in, I'm in agreement with that definitely wholeheartedly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when you're talking about critiquing your songs, what mm -hmm. is one thing that you would critique about we haven't been speaking? Um, actually, that's like one of my favorite songs of mine. So that's a bad example. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would I change about that song? No, nope, that one's good as it is. 
Well, we live in an era I'm, where that's, I'm gonna that's pass. impossible. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. We live in an era where that's like possible to do that. Like you can change your songs in real time. I think yes. Kevin Parker's done it. And I think Kanye West has done it too. Well, and I'm actually so. revamping a song. The last oh. song on Promising Light, I'm I'm resurfacing and we're going to put it on the next album with like a different feel and different production and stuff. Um, But yeah. What about, let's talk about Whole New Homesick. And correct me if I'm wrong, is this about like seeing people for the first time after being isolated from COVID? That is part of what it's about. Yeah, it's also about sort of navigating uh, living in a very conservative area, like during the 2020 election, the 2020 election cycle was like really scary and stressful. Um, my, My partner was like in the midst of transitioning and like, you know, we have like the gay pride flag out in front of our house and like then our neighbors would have like a let's go Brandon flag in front of their house and it was just like how do you how do you like respect someone's humanity and like hold on to the belief that everyone deserves a fulfilling life and also like not take shit from people and like not feel the need to respect everyone's opinion like I so that's part of what that song is about, is like trying to figure out how to respect people's humanity without having to respect their opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, like... Yeah. And it's also about COVID, like you said, like it's straight up about just like the sort of monotony of staying home all the time. And like, yeah, you can like FaceTime and Zoom and text and stuff, but it's not the same as just like chilling with your friends or being at a show. So, yeah. I also think it's interesting that Long Island, right, which a, a good part of it is very, like, conservative. And and a lot of Long Island likes country music, too. But, like, the, the, the country music that we were talking about, a lot of that, mm-hmm. you know, that junk food stuff. Yes. And also, Long Island is known for, like, hip-hop and then emo, specifically. Like, mm-hmm. you're kind of, like, outside of all of that, which is kind mm-hmm. of cool, like... Do you feel like approaching this new sound sort of isolated you from the Long Island music community or no? And I know you're, you know, you have a lot of people that in the Long Island scene, you can almost do like a, like a Long Island high woman (laughs) situation going on, but I want your thoughts. That's a great idea. Um, Yeah. You know, I was just talking about this to someone today. Like I, I would say that like maybe three years ago when I was first getting started with the bell curves, I would say, yes, I felt isolated. But the last couple of years, I feel like there has been sort of a burgeoning Americana roots songwriter scene, at least in my area here in like central and eastern Suffolk. There's like a pretty decent crop of singer songwriters who are kind of you know swimming in that americana roots alt country folksy lane and i think it's really great and i i some of these folks have like been on the scene and you know have been here a while and some of them are you know more like my peers and like around my age um so i do feel less alone lately and i think that choosing to go with this twangier, more intentionally Americana sound has made it easier in a lot of ways to find those people because it's easier to describe the sound. Whereas like if you listen to the first Bell Curves album, it's a little bit 
more all over the map because I was still, you know, trying to find that clarity that I was talking about before. Like pro the first album, Promising Light, is a combination of like leftover Panda fan songs and the stuff that would sort of come to define the sound of the bell curves. Um, so that's a really roundabout way of saying <laughs> that I have found people here and I'm really grateful for that. But I and don't also, know if I, yeah. yeah, I don't know if I'm just like in my own little microcosm or um, I don't know what most people like. <laughs> it doesn't really matter to me as long as I find the people who like my music, you know, yeah, I don't need yeah. like I don't need to be appealing to most people because that doesn't appeal to me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because I do yeah. the same thing for this show. Like, I don't yeah. talk to everybody. I talk yeah. to whoever wants to, you know, listen. Exactly. Yeah, That's exactly. That's all. So yeah. let's go back to February 2021. Um, you're recording and rehearsing what will become Watershed. Now, this is a very challenging time in society because COVID was still ramping. And as you put it, there was no vaccines yet. So what were some challenges and successes of rehearsing and recording an album during this time? Yeah, so we recorded it at our house in Brookhaven um, in our in our basement studio here. And Nick Balzano is the drummer. Um, it was me and my dad, Bill Hafner, and then Pete Mancini, who's another one of those songwriters I was talking about before. He also played electric guitar. And we basically just kind of decided that we were gonna you know enter each other's inner circles as it were because that's kind of like people were doing like the pods back then you know where you'd be like okay i'm having i'm going to be in contact with these specific people and that way it'll be easy yep. to contact trace whatever we take responsibility for each other so we kind of just decided to do that with each other and like frankly like pete and nick didn't have much going on at that point because they're both full-time gigging musicians so I think they were sort of grateful to have something to work on I was grateful to have people to work with and uh yeah we just we rehearsed like five or six weeks leading up to the recording sessions and then we spent like three or four days just banging them out and uh yeah I don't remember it being too challenging honestly it just felt really good and right and i remember um i just remember like that being a, a big turning point for me in a lot of ways that time at end of february early march um because i had quit a job that was making me miserable um started working on this album that i knew was going to be a real watershed moment for me <laughs> Good one. Good Thanks. One. That was really bad. I'm sorry. You were saving that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is my moment. <laughs> um, so I knew that I was making the music that I wanted to make. Finally, I was just like stoked on it. And then the vaccine became available like two weeks after that. And it just felt like I just remember feeling like I was finally seeing land, you know, after being adrift for so long. And yeah, so I only I don't remember any challenges. I only remember it as like a really positive moment and a, a really positive turning point on a lot of levels. Did anyone in your pods 
get COVID during this time period? No, I, I think wow. we all, I'm trying to remember. I've, I had it. I think I had it the first Thanksgiving. Like that would have been Thanksgiving of 2020. And then I don't remember the other times I've had it. That was the bad one. Cause that was the one that was the pre-vaccine one. So I got really sick. Um, but yeah, no, we lucked out. We did all right. Did COVID affect your vocal performance or any kind of, did it affect any part of your musical prowess at all? Oh, um, like after, like having it, like afterward? Yeah. I don't think so. I I really fared very well. This is what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. I'm just very lucky, I think. I don't know. <laughs> um, I guess music is I, healing, I guess. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, I remember being really depressed when I got covid because i couldn't taste anything oh that's the worst and that totally fucked me up i was just like so unhappy and i thought it was never gonna come back i was googling like how long does it take for your taste to come back after covid and like some people are like it never comes back and i was like i won't have anything to live for if i can't taste anything i was like scared i was high key scared but i got my taste back and it's normal so how long did it take for your taste to come back I think I feel like it was gone, gone completely for a full week. Oh, and it kind of came back slowly. Like I remember reading that, like the first thing you'll start tasting in is like citrus. So I was like, "Mom, you need to buy me some orange juice." <laughs> I was, and I was like eating lemons, just trying to taste <laughs> something. Like it was desperate. <laughs> it was really pathetic. <laughs> well, those are the things that I, my mom was trying to get me to eat during that time period. Right. He was like, you better eat oranges. And right. Like, you gotta get the vitamin C. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just do all that. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> it was horrible <laughs> though. I was so upset. I was like, this is not gonna work for me. I'm gonna have to figure something out. <laughs> oh my god. So yeah. So your Pete's Candy Store live album from Brooklyn. So mm-hmm. what what goes into getting a live album recorded? Or is it simpler than I'm making it out to be? Well, it was very simple. Um, <laughs> the recording engineer, Irving Godori, I'm not sure I'm saying his last name right because I only ever saw it on an email. Um, he works at the venue a lot. So when he, I, I think that he reaches out to people who are playing there who seem to be, you know, established bands and stuff. Um, he had reached out to me and, and you know, gave me his rate and whatever. And was like, I can record your set at Pete's Candy Store if you want. And I was like, hmm. I don't usually, you know, go for like the cold call kind of things, but this could actually be really interesting. And we had played there er- before. We played there in July and the venue asked us back, which was super sick. I didn't even know that they did that. So that was very validating. But that's a side note. Um, so, yeah, Irving reached out to uh, to me and I was like, yeah, that sounds really cool. And he just showed up and multi-tracked the whole thing. And I didn't really even have to do anything. I just hired him i was like this is awesome i'm so used to doing everything myself that's the power of paying people i guess <laughs> yeah so when you talk about relinquishing control yes yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah. was his rate so, reasonable yeah completely reasonable and wow. to any musicians listening if you play at pete's candy store and irving reaches out to you ask him to record take him up on it and if you're doing any kind of remote recording he was just so good super chill um really high quality recordings he he really offered good recording oh yeah he he offered it. he offered to mix but i was like you know we'll just mix it ourselves so we can you know do some tweaking and stuff but yeah he was awesome huge fan 
So um, you got it recorded at Pete's, then you mm-hmm. mix and mastered it. You and your mm-hmm. dad or just you yourself? Uh, my dad did wow. did that. Yeah. And then I, I boss him around and I tell him, make that louder, make that quieter. And it usually ends up being what he wanted in the first place anyway. So <laughs> Phenomenal. you know how it is. <laughs> That's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. What's cool of that is that Pete's Candy Store is a Brooklyn venue and you're all the way the hell out on Long Island. Yeah. So I, I think it's so interesting that you're you're not isolated. There's there's people around all over like New York that want that like what's going on with the bell curves. Yeah, I guess so, which is pretty cool. I um it's a very nice feeling to think that anyone gives a shit about these songs that I made up. <laughs> it's like really nice. And I don't say that to be like self-deprecating. I just really feel like it's just awesome. Like I just made these songs up and someone cares about them. It's just really cool. Um, So yeah. Yeah. And again, the I didn't actually, when we recorded the live album, I didn't tell the band that we were doing it. I told my dad that, I wanted to do it and so he knew we were doing it but like Sam and Anne and John um I didn't tell them we were recording because I was like if I tell them they're gonna get super like in their heads about it they're gonna second guess and like I just want the raw energy because like I do think that like we have a really cool live thing going on that has a different energy from the studio thing and I wanted to capture that, so I intentionally did not tell them until after we were done. But the thing is about the kind of music you're making, it is better when it's raw. Yeah, because it's, it's human, you know, yes. it's, which yeah. comes back to the thing we were saying before about like country music and folk music more broadly is like it's just it's just people making songs, you know, and sometimes things go sideways and it's imperfect. And like, that's really cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Cause yeah. I'm a big fan of like Mississippi Hill Country blues, like mm-hmm. Arl Burnside mm-hmm. and uh Sunhouse and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and it's very raw. It's yeah. human, it's emotive, right. the songs are there, the stories are there, mm-hmm. and it's there's a beauty to it. Yes. Do you listen to Yola at all? I loved her first album. Same. Um and her more recent one, I really liked the singles, but I never really like dug into it. As, as a record as much yeah. 100% yeah. the one thing that I thought she did differently was she had a, like the soul element into her twangy Americana country stuff yes but it is like it's very country you know mm-hmm. if you showed it to like a country fan who listened to all the people that we named today like Lou Harris and right. Bonnie Raitt and all that stuff you'd be like yep that's for me right which is why like I feel like the the term like Americana is like a nice catch-all because in my mind anyway it encompasses all of these other genres like it it encompasses soul and country and blues and folk and rock and roll and like all of these things that all fun fall under the umbrella of americana yeah do you do you listen to uh shana cleveland from la luz oh oh wait she was your last guest yep Yes, yep. yes. Her, I, I'm familiar with La Luz. I did not know that she had a, a solo project. Yeah, her last album, her most recent album, Manzanita, is very Americana. It's very twangy. Mm-hmm. It's very rural. Mm-hmm. And when I'm listening to it, I'm like, yeah, I think Delaney mm-hmm. would be into this if she... Yeah, yeah, list. I'll have to listen to it because I, I did check out some of the other interviews. Yeah. But, yeah. So you're doing Rockwood Music Hall, April 15th, and you're going way out to Long Island. 
on May 13th for the May Day Festival. What is that? Yeah. So um, it's funny. You say way out on Long Island. I'm like, I have to go west to get to that festival. <laughs> Farmingville? That's uh, Yeah, that's Farmingville, Bald Hill. Mm -hmm. That's oh, what I'm okay. saying. I, I'm saying I live further east of there. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. <laughs> okay, I got you. I got yeah, you. We're, we're deep out here. But um, yeah, May Day is really cool. It's organized by um, a labor union, which we love. Love wow. to see that. Um, Very so, Woody Guthrie? Yes, yes, which again, huge fan, obviously. Um, and they have some really serious headliners this year. Um, Blues Traveler and the Wallflowers are are headlining it. Um, I'm pretty sure we're gonna be kicking off like the regional stage, um, which I'm stoked for, and some other of my like favorite local bands are playing like mjt and quarter oh, horse wow. MJT. yes i have not seen them live in like a long time i wow. haven't either um and so i'm super stoked for that to see what they sound like these days and uh yeah and i'm actually going to be playing bass with pete mancini who i mentioned earlier um because he's playing as well so it's going to be a good freaking day that's may 13th awesome so as a Long Island-based musician, do you have any issues or challenges in booking shows in the boroughs outside of like Pete's Candy Store and Rockwood Music Hall? Um, do you have any challenges of getting shows out here? Um, hmm, that's a good question. The challenge for me is that I struggle because I will play anywhere, anytime for anyone, but I don't always feel comfortable asking my band to commit to a gig that I haven't kind of sussed out. Um, so like with Rockwood and Pete's Candy Store, like obviously I've been there, I've played there. I know that it's worth bringing the band. Um, but with places that I haven't been to yet, it can be kind of hard to, to know whether it's worth the effort of bringing the band. Um, because it just means that, like, everyone has to drive into the city. Everyone has to, like, either take off work or rush out after work. And, like, it's just, like, time and energy that I'm asking them to put in. And I know that they all want to do it and, and enjoy doing it. But it's still a commitment that I want to be, like, mindful and respectful of. So, yeah. It's also just, like, far away. Like, I... I feel like growing up, I was thought that New York City was, you know, like, oh, I live outside New York. But like, no, I don't fucking live outside New York. I live an hour and a half away from New York City. Like, I don't live near New York City. So like, it's really cool to be able to play there and feel like we're more of a regional act for it. And to be able to get up into Hudson Valley and like Western New York a little bit. That is really cool. But I, I don't prioritize New York City because I also think that I would rather try to be a big fish in a little pond before I you know try to you know I'm getting into a mixed metaphor here I was gonna say like frying pan into the fire or something I don't know I'm not sure I, I'm like losing the thread of my metaphor now um but yeah I would rather focus on developing a reputation in smaller scenes and you know, building those networks, but rather than trying to like 
develop something in the city and just burning out because I don't live there and it's so big and so it's so easy to get lost in the white noise of it all that like I just don't know if it's like worth the effort whereas like I can really focus on like developing something close to where I live or someplace that's like a smaller scene that I'm connected to so you essentially want to bring people out east instead of the other way around like most people yeah. go into the city for shows now yeah you get something cooking out east. Right. it's like oh i want to go out to Florida yeah. now you know? exactly yeah. yeah and like there's people here i mean it's like one of, of the course. most densely populated places in the country like there's there's people here and there's got to be people who want to hear some new music and i i've also been doing all right like out in the hamptons because i work out in the hamptons and so like i've started to meet some people out there and that's been pretty cool um it's obviously like hamptonsy but <laughs> it's it's nice and there there are some supportive people out there and some cool things going on so yeah awesome well yeah. Delaney, it's been awesome having you on my little underground to talk up the bell curves this yeah. is your time to plug anything you got going on that we didn't already talk about well, you really are very well researched, which I appreciate. So I don't know if there's anything I can add. You probably already know about it. I guess April, yeah, April 15th at Rockwood Music Hall. We're playing at 6 p.m. that Saturday evening. Um, and I think that's going to be a very good show. So if you can't make it to that and you're out on Long Island, May Day is May 13th. Um, and that's going to be sick as hell so saturday kind of, at 6 p.m you can't get music. any better than that yeah i know that's great that's like prime prime that's americana set time ah! in my mind <laughs> that's perfect plug your website yeah. Really oh yeah. yeah so the the website is um what is the website the bellcurs.xyz and uh band camp too is another good place to go um but also appreciate a spotify follow because you know gotta feed the algorithms and instagram and facebook so yeah i i'm on the internet you know i try All to do everything i try that's great awesome yeah. thank you so much Delaney. well thank you, thank you.